happy, blessed Sabbath from Daughter Zion, Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are so glad you've joined us for our Sabbath school broadcast. And does the Lord have a treat for you? Yes, he does. We have our dear sister, Pamela Cerise, joining us this morning. And we also have our dear sister, Lawana McCoy, joining us this morning. And just based upon the two of them, it's a wrap. I must know that God has some beautiful things in store for us today. He's going to bless us through the power of his Holy Spirit. And so before we get into our lesson study, I want to have a word of prayer and we're going to dive right in so we can spend time just massaging and experiencing the joys of what God has reserved for us today. We're praying. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your mercy and for your love. Abide, O oh Lord, I beg you. Uh, I pray, dear Father, that as we discuss your goodness and your mercy, that we'll learn more of you, dear Father, and that you will allow us, dear Lord, to just be able to become ambassadors of your goodness and your gospel and your love toward the world. Be with those who are joining us, dear Father, I beg you. And we love you. We appreciate you. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen and amen. This is a high day. We are looking forward to having comments roll in. Please like, subscribe, um, comment um, as it relates to these questions and discussion. We look forward to hearing from you. And in addition to that, keep in mind that um, we are having our service today it is going to be broadcast on site um, with individuals live in the building as well. So definitely keep um, individuals in prayer and our team on, in prayer as well as we continue to, to seek to do what the Lord will have for us to do. The stranger in your gates. This is big. This is huge. Lesson five of our, our quarter on Deuteronomy. It talks about the stranger in your gates. And there's something that they say here in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 19. It says, this is, I, I love it. It says, therefore, love the stranger. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Oh, man. Oh, man. This is good stuff. And it, it, it means that therefore means that there's something that has happened and, and something that was said. And this is the culmination of it. Love the stranger for you. Were, and I love the reminder. You were strangers in the land of Egypt. So today I want to spend some time and I just want to ask these questions. So we go into Sunday's discussion and it talks about circumcise your hearts. And there's some powerful things going on. We, we recognize that God's already given the children of Israel the Ten Commandments. He has hewn out the two tablets of stone. He has written on them with his own fingers. And all of a sudden, he's there speaking to Moses about the goodness of, of, of his mercies towards his children and how he plans to save them. And all of a sudden, they are down and they are having this despicable party. They are literally having this despicable display of worship. They are doing all manner of reverie and, and this disgustingness. In the, in, the, in the presence of God, and Moses starts to head down, right? God tells him, go down. And he starts to head down. As he's heading down, he's bringing with him, there's supposed to be some party favors, right? There's supposed to be some, you know, some good stuff he just got from God heading on down. I mean, the tablets are still hot from God's finger ink. And he sees them performing these despicable acts. And he breaks the tablets, right? And so in Deuteronomy, all of a sudden, we see this discussion taking place. We see the interaction, and the interaction is literally a, um, a discussion with symbols, if you will, between God and his children, and he's saying what? I need to now do this again, right? I have to do this again. I have to now write again. And I want to ask this question. Why did God have to reaffirm his covenant with Israel. Because after all, wasn't the covenant 
supposed to be everlasting. And I want to start um, with my dear sister, Cerise, if you would, um, can you give us some insight into this question, please? Thank you, um, Elder Tracy. So the, 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 the question is pretty powerful. The act, as you were just discussing um, and hearing you say it again, when Moses threw down the tablets and broke them, very often I see that as our reaction when we realize that we have not done our part or that we have stumbled or that we have failed, sometimes the difficulty is to get back up and, and, and trying again. With God reaffirming that confident that that covenant, I believe it is to um, reaffirm us or reassure us or remind us that His word is true. His word is everlasting. That in spite of our failure, He is still ready. He is willing to have us re-enter, come back. Let us do it again. Let us try again on our on, on our end. It it and and to prove to us that remember he made he swore to that promise. He swore to that covenant. He is not going to renege on his word. He's not going to go back, despite our behavior and how we falter and how we become discouraged when we when we take our eyes off of what we are supposed to be doing. So God had to uh, remind us his word is true and it's everlasting. And he is going to follow through regardless of what we, we do and how we falter. And he was not going to break his promise that he made with our forefathers of what he was going to do for us, the, the generation coming. I believe that's what he had to, to, to reaffirm that for our sake. Amen, amen. Sister Therese, so, so powerful it, for us, not for him. That's powerful. Sister McCoy, can you help us out on that point as well, please? Absolutely. I agree. This is a very powerful and packed question because when I think of a covenant, it's a like a binding agreement between two parties. And when that covenant is broken, and it is on our part that it's broken, then we have basically said we have forgotten the God who has led us through so much in our lives. And so um, when we look at this covenant, it reminds me of the most powerful, in my opinion, the most powerful aspect or act of God to show that he will continue to reaffirm his covenant. And that is the rainbow. And he said, I will set my bow in the cloud and you remember. So he reaffirmed through that rainbow. I'm going to be here. I'm not going to change. You're going to falter. You're going to fall by the wayside. You're going to do a lot of things. And so when we look at the way it was back in Israel, it, there was a mixed multitude as well. There were people who were not even 
um, a part of Israel, but they knew God, they feared him and they respected him because they knew that the children of Israel were protected. And so that covenant doesn't just mean two parties agree. It means that one party says, I got your back. I'm your ride or die. I'm not going to let you um, just fall by the wayside. You may fall, but I'm going to help you back up. It's going to take some things that you have to learn. And so that bow in the cloud, it made me excited all over to think about the covenant God made with me to say, you, you can be guaranteed that it won't happen this way again. Okay. I'm going to always be there to affirm you. I want to end with this question with talking about a touchstone. And if you look at a touchstone, it's basically just like a, a piece of metal, a rock, if you will. And you would have to test it. You would have to test to see if something is authentic. And when you test it, you scratch on it. You can scratch gold, silver, pewter, bronze, any expensive piece of um, metal. And it was the test to determine if it was authentic. Well, this covenant is authentic. God is that actual touchstone. And when we rub against him, when he scratch us against him, it's, it's, it's a done deal. God is saying, I got you. Amen. Amen. You know, I, I see Elder, Elder Farrington is, is adjusting his seat system accord. Um, you talked about that ride or die. He started smiling. And then, um, and, and, and I thought it to myself, he really did. Did he ride with us and then die for us? I mean, he truly is the ride or die. You know what I mean? And so, and then you talked about the bow. And I thought, man, you know, one thing I'll tell you is you talked about the everlasting covenant and how you're reminding of the bow. The bow doesn't end. No one has seen the end of a rainbow. And I love in Revelation, it talks about the bow. It says it encircles the throne. In other words, his covenant does what? It circles around us and it never ends. So guess what? Is it everlasting? Short answer, Sister McCoy, you said it is like the bow. Elder Farrington, you came in the middle of some heat, right? You came here and I, and I said it, Sister Cerise and Sister um, McCoy were not going to take any prisoners today that God was going to unleash something in them. And we're seeing it already. I want to get to this one quick comment and I'm going to come to you, Elder Farrington. Um, our brother Mark says, because as we learn throughout the book of Judges, the people of God desperately needed to be reminded time and again, there's something about sinfulness that causes acute spiritual amnesia. Thank you so much, um, Brother Mark. And you are absolutely correct. That is what we deal with. Elder Farrington, you want to jump and get a piece of this bone or you want to, uh, are you, how you want to, how you feel on this one? Let's see. Uh, good morning and happy Sabbath. I have a few technical difficulties starting out and I'm glad, um, you know, I was reminded to put on my fire retardant suit. You know, you see, I came into some heat, so I, I, I'm trying not to get burned by the heat. So I, I got some uh, repellent clothing here, just like the, uh, the three Hebrew boys and it went into the fiery flame. You know, they didn't get burned uh, because they had some repellent fate, you know, that that watered off the, the flames. And I'm so glad to see uh, dear sister, sister McCoy, part of our um, Sabbath school discussion. She's been working 
diligently, diligently with the children in their Sabbath school program. So Sister McCoy, welcome. In uh, answering your question here, why does God have to reaffirm the covenant with Israel? I learned, um, and you may have heard it as well, I learned from my roommate um, when I was in college, it says that repetition deepens the mind and sharpens the intellect. Repetition deepens the mind and sharpens the intellect. So the, 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 the necessity of being able to remind or reaffirm was to continue to deepen the mind and sharpen the intellect. What if God had said this once and it died out with that generation? Because remember, you know, he gave the, this, this covenantal uh, agreement to Abraham way back then. Um, he gave it to, to, to um, Noah in terms of a, a bow in the sky. But what if, if there was no more repeating of that to succeeding generation? Would the covenant be everlasting still, if you didn't remember? So he, we're told in Isaiah, that all of that children shall be taught of the Lord. Taught what? We talk about this covenantal relationship. So now it becomes generation and, and, and it passes on from generation to generation. And it reaffirms the importance by repeating. It reaffirms the importance uh, um, by repeating. And so God, you know, throughout different stages of their journey, he reminds them who he is and about this covenant that he had made with them and his willingness to uphold his end of the covenant. And he's given us strength and energy and resource to uphold our end of the covenant. And so that's what makes it so impactful, so so powerful, is what God starts out uh, doing and the position he takes. And we're going to discuss in our lesson more so how we look at how repetition deepens the mind and sharpens the intellect. Amen, amen. I'm glad you um, dressed appropriately, other parents, and definitely feel some flames coming in here in the building today. Definitely need you um, individuals who are watching us, who are joining us online to um, send your comments and just, you know, just tell us happy Sabbath. Let us know that you're well, and we can just say happy Sabbath back to you as well. Subscribe, like the page, share the page. This is your evangelism live and up close, right? I want to ask this question, still staying there in Sunday's lesson, talking about circumcising your hearts. And this idea that, you know, writing God's law in your heart. I wanted to, if we could take a look here and ask the question, how do we write God's law on our hearts? And Sister Cerise, I'm going to come to you with this question. And I wanted to really just spend some time about this idea of writing God's law on our hearts. It's said a lot. We made reference to it a lot. But the idea is this, the, the thing that Elder Farrington just said about that that thing that you do over and over again and how it deepens and sharpens. So Sister Cerise, help us out a little bit here. How, we, how do we do this? Definitely, Elder, um, when you practice daily, it is one thing when you know it and it's another thing when you practice it. So for me, writing God's law in my heart, I have to make that daily commitment. I have to practice daily recommit myself daily. I should not have to look it up on the Bible or read a scripture verse to be reminded of what I need to do. I want to be able to have it in my core. And, and that for me is by that daily time in the word, meditating on the word, that daily application to my life, how I deal with my brothers and sisters, how I deal with those that come along life's way, even like our focus today is that stranger. 
how do I apply my, my daily meditation with God to the stranger that comes my way? My daily obedience, my commitment to even though that I will falter, even though I will stumble. Because I remember one Sabbath, Elder Farrington said, you know, you start off the day fine. You get up, you say your prayers, you meditate on your word, you read, and you step out of the door and just like that is like, oh, right? That daily commitment and renewing and remembering, I'm going to falter, but I, I have to get back up. This is how I have to keep God's law on my heart from that daily recommitment, daily reconnection daily practice, 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 put it into practice what I have read. For me, that's how I'm going to keep God's law in my heart. Amen. Sister McCoy, I'm going to just bring you right into that. A absolutely awesome. Just keeping it going. Sister McCoy, give us some of your thoughts on that as well as relates to God's law on our hearts and having it written there. Practice is something that I know I use in the classroom because we tell our students practice is perfect. So uh, Sister Cerise summed it up very well. But I want to go in another part of the classroom in science. And let's look at Newton's first law. And this law is about motion. Okay, and so the question is asked, how do we write God's law on our hearts? So a scientific law, it's based on continuing to repeat that experiment to show evidence. And so Newton's first law says an object at rest stays at rest unless something pushes it. That is his first law. And so think about our hearts. Our hearts, they rest in our bodies, put there specifically in the location where it is by God, the creator. And it serves a purpose. It serves many purposes. OK, so God tested people in the Bible who stayed at rest. Circumstances, fate, luck, whatever you want to call it. You can say that those things move the heart, but we know it's God who actually moves the heart. So when we want to be stationary, God is that law of motion and he moves our hearts, our bodies and our souls. He brings back to our remembrance those things that we used to do and it prompts our hearts and it pricks our hearts. We can even look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, I'm never going to mention your name again, but it was like a fire shut up in his bones. And so he had to go back. So that's something that's written on your heart. That's a law that God said developed over time. And so for me, when I'm in that state of rest, it's going to remain at rest until I pick up the word of God until I turn on that song that's a constant reminder. And I am blessed and I am thankful because however we got to where we got about a knowledge of God, we're no longer stationary at rest. 
Amen. Amen. I, I didn't know we were going to go into physics today as well after the fire, but you, you brought it. And, and man, um, that, that, that idea of motion and the God who moves, we see it in Genesis, right? Starts out the very first um, chapter. It talks about the Holy Spirit doing what? Hovering and moving. And so we definitely have a God who moves to move us. Awesome. 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 Elder Farrington, I'm going to um, come to you in a moment. Someone talked about some blood, and uh, I have, so they talked about blood. I got to bring up the blood. Brother Mark says, seems to me to write God's law, and he put some um, Hebrew in there, um, on our hearts um, by receiving a blood transfusion, um, but not conventional blood, that of the lamb slain from the foundation, from the creation of the world. Um, not a bad start, I think. Um, I think it's a little bit of tongue in cheek on that last part, but nonetheless, yes, 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 right? Getting that blood that's not ours to pump through us. And then we have our dear sister, Lauren, Happy Sabbath, you as well, our dear sister. We're asking for you guys, pouring your comments. And again, Elder Farrington, how do we write? Where do we get the ink from? How do we write on God's law on our hearts? Talk to us, my dear brother. Fact, and this is what I've ascribed it to. So uh, I'm no, no, nowhere near being a scholar, but I, I look at how we learn. We learn through three uh, methods. We learn through instruction observation and application, instruction, observation and application. So you ask us how we write God's on our law is through those three uh, elements. First, we, we learn of the God uh, of the law and then we see it uh, observed through the lives of others. That's how it should be. We have a witness, you know, on how to to love, how to forgive, uh, uh, um, how to to to, you know, uh, uh, you know, share this gospel and things of that nature. So we see evidence of it. And then we'll apply it. So the writing happens through all those phases where we're going through the instructions. Uh, we learn of the law. All that children should be taught of the Lord. We're learning about this covenantal, covenantal relationship of being everlasting. And then we see evidence of it. It's not something abstract. It's not something that is, is whimsical. You know, we see evidence of, we see people who are engaged in this process. And we understand how, how, how that walk looks like. And then we find ourselves in situations in life where we, 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 we have to show love to another person. Here we're talking about strangers. And so uh, it's good that we're able to love our brothers and our sisters. It's good that we are able to uh, love, you know, um, people of importance and, you know, and rank and all that stuff. But the, the, the lesson is pointing us to strangers, those who are on the margin of society. And the application process is the, the, the ink in the pen. The other parts are, are the instruments, it's the ink in the pen. And when we go ahead and apply that love, uh, 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 that's, the, that's the writing of it on the tables of our heart. And we understand this to be metaphorical um, in terms of the heart, but it, it, it points back to the mind, how the mind is engaged in this process all along. And it's not stationary. As Sister McCoy puts it, you know, says that object at rest tends to stay at rest and an object in motion tends to stay at motion. So if we are ever learning, we're ever writing because we're ever applying. We're ever loving. Sister McCoy, you have students today. We're learning. We're learning. We're not only learning, we're applying. We're applying. Right. Powerful words. Um, Elder Farrington. You know, one of the things I love when you look at this idea of writing God's laws in our heart, when God opens up in Deuteronomy chapter 10, he tells Moses, look, um, go and, and hew out some two tables of stone like the first. I'm going to write on them the thing I wrote the first time around. Right. And then he goes on to say something. He says, look, um, I want you to also make a box of wood. 
And, and, and I love when he does that because in verse two, he said that I will write on them my law that I wrote the first time around and you're going to put them where? In the box of wood. And so what's powerful, as we say, happy Sabbath to Sister Blair, what's powerful is God gives us the answer before we get presented with the question, right? Before presented with an issue, God gives the answer. What God is saying is, look, I have these two tables of stone. You should have put them somewhere safe. You should have put them inside of something the first time, right? And maybe you wouldn't have broke them the first time. And so this time he said, Moses, come on back, get some stone. Let's go ahead and put them in a box so that way they won't break. In other words, put my law in your what? In your heart, right? It's not about a box. It's not about the rocks. It's about us, right? And God's hands in our lives and in our hearts. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, I'm ready to move on now. I already got happy. Um, it's funny, man. You get happy so early in the morning, you can't even figure out how you're going to, you know, make it through the rest of the day. But let's keep moving, right? We're still, well, are we on Sunday? We're still on Sunday. And, I'm, and I have a question. There's another question. Sister Cerise, help us out. What makes a covenant based on love more binding than a covenant based on law? Woo! And, and, and so we're talking now about this idea of, of this relationship, this promise. That we've been talking about it all morning. But is it um, based on love? Um, is, is it more binding than one based on law? Help us out this, Cerise. So when you do things out of love, you do it just because. When you, I thought about when we abide by the law, the law, the law of the land, let's say traffic, you, you see that police and immediately you're like, got to get it right. And as soon as you pass that police, you're going right back into what you were doing. You're going to speed up just the same. You got to get there. When you do things out of love, you do it because you want to. It is a, a dedication um, because you want to to please. You want to you want to show that that you have that love. It's not a mechanical thing that you're going through. You you look forward to it. You get excited about that covenant. You want to to get into it to prove that this is coming from my heart. This is the core of who I am. When you were when we were all at some stage of our lives courting, we looked to see what pleased that other person, right? This person loved flowers. I'm not going to get them flowers because it's their birthday. I'm going to get them flowers just because, just so they know it's coming from my heart. I'm doing it out of the goodness of my heart. This is why that covenant that we have, that commitment that we have with God, it, it should be coming from our heart. God did it. Remember last week we talked about God loving us first before we even decided that we wanted to commit? He loved us first out of, his, out of the goodness that he is. This is why this is more, this, this, covenant, this covenant based on love is, is more binding. We do it because we, we get excited about it. We love what we do. We're doing it because we want to show how much we love versus that, that law. If it's law-based, you're just going to do what you think you should do to get it done. And when you think in your mind, nobody's looking, that higher authority is not looking, you're going to slip right back to do whatever you want to do. The love is, is more a commitment.
Amen. Amen. We can all identify with that traffic experience, um, Sister Cerise. And um, yeah, love keeps you keeps you in a place of um, obedience and 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 just the the awesomeness of God. Sister McCoy, um, love versus law. Um, talk to me, please. When this question was posed, I thought to myself, it's like a compare and contrast. And so if we were to compare and contrast to the person who grew up in the church, who knows God, we're going to get some interesting perspectives. But if we go to the person who doesn't go to church regularly, they don't spend that time with God. I wonder what is it that what is what would they say? How would they respond to this? And so in looking at it, I looked at it from an old perspective and a new perspective, meaning love or law has to be based on an old or new perspective. Now, the context of that is not literal. What I mean is the covenant that it's a law. It is something that is necessary. Okay. Um, we talked already about the law was written on stone, but, and that was the old covenant, that law, but the new covenant of love, it's written on our hearts. So you um, mentioned that elder Tracy, and then this circumcision, there was a circumcision of flesh um, with the law. It was necessary, but now the circumcision happens with our hearts. And so this covenant of love replaces that old with the circumcision of the flesh to the circumcision of the heart. There was a sacrificial lamb with the law, okay? And people had to make sacrifices of that sacrificial lamb but now we can go directly, this new covenant is we can go directly to God um, and pray to him and confess our sins to him. No longer did the pre, does the priest have to speak all of our sins over the goat, okay? And we now have direct access. And so if I were to talk with that stranger, I would not only tell them about the new covenant, which is love that replaced it, not saying or minimizing the covenant of the law, but I would let them know this new covenant shows you a God of love, a God of compassion, a God who is going to help you to bridge the two together. And so when you compare and contrast it, then it's easier to apply, as Elder Farrington said, a part of that learning is that you learn to apply it to your life, to put it into how you're actually going to make it. How are you going to look at the two? What if someone doesn't see it from that viewpoint? It's like baby steps, but we will get there. Amen. Amen. I, I love that. You, you teach it and then you reveal it. You, you, know, you teach the law, you reveal the love um, in that process. Thank you so much, Mr. McCoy. Elder Farrington, um, any thoughts you can add or, or would like to add to this idea of covenant based on love 
um, versus the one based on law. I'll look at it um, quickly this way, um, since I have um, two teachers as part of this panel. Um, in English, we learn about um, different parts of speech, and one is a verb. And we're told that love is an action word. Love is an action word, and it requires, you know, activity uh, in regards to that. So when we look at the covenant based on love, it's not so much it's, it's stayed, it's stoic, it's um, uh, uh, um, stationary. It's something that engages us and propels us to be in action or in activity involving in each other's lives. So when we base that, uh, when we actuate our, our, ourselves with that principle in terms of moving, love isn't love until you give it away. Uh, and when we when we understand that part, then it has more of a permanence in our lives and it means more, more so than being by rote, being something out of habit, or out of ritual, something that we do in terms of um, keeping the law. When we, but when we do it in, in response um, of our love for God and our love for man, then it has more permanence and it actuates and guides us a whole lot better. Amen. Amen. I love that. The idea that it, it's on the move, that love is on the move. Um, I, I love it. And we're looking forward to that love on the move that one day, what, when the sky will just, just open up, right? And we'll know love is on the move. I just want to say this very quickly. I'm going to move into finally going to get into um, Monday's lesson. Um, but I want to ask this question or not even ask this question, you know, pose this point. Um, Moses breaks the tablets of stone representing the breaking of the covenant of the children of Israel. Right. And what's beautiful is Moses didn't break it, the covenant, but he broke the tablets of stone representing what they broke. But he goes back before God's presence and God now tells him, now you hew out the stones that you broke. And I love I love the way God does it. He says, you, you um, hew them out, the stones that you broke. But it's not a finger in the face of Moses. It's more of a look. Um, we're going to work collaboratively here to make this thing work. And I think with Sister McCoy, you brought that point up about showing God's love. The idea is the law requires that it be written and documented. I'm going to hand it over. But at the end of the day, I want us to work together to ensure that it's kept. And that's the idea. We're going to work together. You hew out the stones. I'll use my ink of love. Um, and I'm going to put a safe place here for you to put them in. And we put them in a safe place. God is actively working love on the move to ensure what? That it is kept. Because as the psalmist says, the law of the Lord is perfect, right? And it converts the soul. Looking here at Monday's lesson, Monday deals with love the stranger, right? Love the stranger. And this is one of the interesting things um, that I found because the question is, how do you love a stranger? Like, you know, what is that love? You know, how do you love a stranger? You know, I, I can say, oh, no, I love you because, um, you know, I've known you for this amount of time. Or I love you because you've done all these things for me. I love you based on our familiar relationship. But talk about love the stranger. And I want to ask this question as it comes out of Matthew um, chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. It's the continuation of the discussion we had last week. And Sister Cerise, you brought it up earlier regarding this idea of, um, of loving the Lord thy God and then God now bringing up the fact that the second is like unto the first, right? And so I want to ask the question, why is this commandment so important? I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm calling it the second command, if you will. Um, and how does it relate to the first? 
Sister Teresa, I'm going to come back. I'm just, I'm having um, difficulty hearing you. Sister McCoy, I'm going to ask if you can just go ahead and jump in, and I'm going to come back to Sister Teresa on this question as it relates to the second commandment and how it relates to the first commandment. So we're commanded in the Bible to love the stranger. And I, I found it eight times in the Bible. Now it could be more, I'm not trying to be a theologian, um, but I you know, saw that it was there eight times. So I think we could come to an awareness that when we love our neighbors, by and large, they're people we know, maybe people like ourselves, but God knows there is something that is challenging about moving that stranger, not to someone you see, someone you may relate to at a distance, but you can move that interaction, that relationship into a place of love. So we don't really need the eight references in the Bible to tell us to love God, right? So if we don't need those references, it's pretty straightforward when the Bible tells us those eight times to love our neighbors as ourselves. So when we look at those eight commands that God tells us to love them, we don't realize how beautiful that is in shaping the community. It shapes the community. So if I'm driving on the highway and every five feet that says 60 miles per hour, 60, and it goes on and it continues every five miles, then it's reminding me to do something I'm not doing intuitively. Okay. And so the same happens with these eight references. If it were obvious, if it were simple, then it would only have to be said once. That's what I'm getting at. So Jesus, God, this second commandment looks at it as something um, beautiful. And it's something that helps us to understand um, how difficult it is to relate to the stranger, but at the same time, how simple it is to understand what God expects us to do. Leviticus talks a lot about loving the stranger as well, okay, that lives in your land, okay? Don't do that person wrong, okay? There is an, a level of obligation that we have. And so this second commandment, it's based on the first commandment, our example, Jesus. And so when we have that level of obligation in mind because of the first commandment, then it's easy for us to say, I love you to a stranger. I want to help you to a stranger, whatever the case may be, because of Jesus, that example. Loving strangers, and I, I would reframe it and look at it this way. Uh, I, I've, I've been often told or been mentioned that, you know, if you look at strangers uh, as friends you haven't met yet, you know, because they hold the ideas of a stranger, somebody that you are familiar with. You know, Jason, we've been knowing each other. Uh, for many years, um, and you know, I, I've come to know and love you over that time. And if I take that same attitude of familiarity and, 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 and the love I have for you, 
and apply that to someone I haven't met, knowing that that person can I can grow, know and love in the same manner. It's just that time hasn't been applied to it. That's the only thing that's missing. So when we look at strangers differently and not somebody that's strange, because if we take the word as itself strange, we, we, we tend to avoid, we ostracize, ostracize something that we're not familiar with. And we, it has to prove itself to us, us more than we've proven it ourselves to what's strange or to that person. And if we, we rephrase it or, or, or cast it differently and like friends I haven't met yet, then it takes on a different connotation. And then our, our attitude, towards, attitude towards them would be different. So my whole thought and process of looking at strangers, you know, is to welcome them um, into our homes, into our lives. You know, uh, there, there, there's the difference when we when we people come to our church, we call them two things. We say visitors or guests. We never say um, we have strangers with us today. And the connotation is different. It's like, oh, these are visitors or when we have a, a guest, a guest of honor, then we know our treatment of them is different. You know, this is somebody we revere, we respect, or we want to, you know, roll out the red carpet for. And 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 our treatment of strangers, if that was to have the same level of importance or connotation, then we become. You ever had somebody you become fast friends with? You just hit it off. You know, it seems like man, you like a brother from another mother, or a sister from another mister, and you know, you just you know, you seem to intertwine very quickly. And that's all because you allow yourself to become more familiar with that person. You realize there's a lot of things you have in common more than you have different about yourself. So just change the construct and look at them as visitors, guests, or friends you haven't met yet. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, excellent point, Other parents, and the, the connotation of strange and, and kind of looking at those individuals as though they're kind of obscure um, individuals. One of the things I love when you talk about this, this, this lesson of love your um, strangers is that I'm going to go to some of these comments here. Um, the idea that God talks about strangers in Exodus, and we say it every single week. Remember, when we were at church, we get up and we say these things, right? We get up and say, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, right? And as we get up and say, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and we'll turn around and we'll say things like, um, uh, You know, we don't do any work in it. Our sons won't do anything. Um, our daughters won't do anything. Our um, male um, staff won't do anything. Our um, female staff won't do anything. And then we go on, we say, and our neighbors, I mean, our strangers who come in our gates, they won't do anything. But the idea is, remember to keep the Sabbath day holy. So we were supposed to be teaching them the love of the Sabbath day, right? The, the holiness, if you will, of remembering to keep something holy or to be holy or be set apart and teaching that to strangers, the love of God, the holiness of God. And we kind of use it as a sword as opposed to an open arm of love and drawing them in. Oh, you come to my house, you can't do it. No, 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 no. You're supposed to be teaching them the holiness of God. And so that idea of remembering and the strangers within thy gates, powerful um, lesson. We have our um, our, our um, dear sister Cerise back with us. I'm going to go through some of these um, points um, from earlier. Our dear um, um, Winsome Gray says, covenant on love is relational. I do X, Y, Z because I love you and I don't want to hurt you or you, um, or you to hurt me. I know. Um, covenant of law is a getting by mindset, right? Pretty much I do it just to get a, go along to get along, right? Or get along to go along, whatever, whichever way it goes. And then we have our dear sister Hines who says both are based on love. And if we can't love those, we can see how we're going to love God because the law is related to how we treat others. And it's also ourselves and God. And that's why Jesus says what? The first is like unto, I mean, sorry, the second is like unto the first. In other words, 
they are deeply, deeply connected. Um, powerful stuff. Um, Want to talk about um, the idea of uh, moving on. Um, we, we, we're short on time, so I want to um, just kind of move on here in our lesson and look at the idea of um, strangers in Egypt, okay? And I want to kind of walk through the idea that God doesn't just say love strangers. He says what? He says, love them and remember that you were like them. And I want to ask this question, um, Sister McCoy, why is it important for us to never forget where we came from? I mean, God brings up the fact that, look, not only you were strangers in this land, um, and you need to remember that when learning how to love others, right? And so looking here in um, Tuesday's lesson, it talks about when you were strangers in Egypt and why is it important for us to never forget where we came from? Uh, we see it all throughout the Bible. Um, I am from um, a small town in Georgia. And I remember growing up and I just couldn't wait to leave this place. I'm like, I, you know. I, I'm not going to grow. I'm not going to get anything from it. I'm, you know, there's just no end to this. I have to break free. I've got to get out of this small town. And so I went and I enjoyed my experience um, as a young adult into becoming that adult where I had to make these decisions. Um, Oakwood College prepared me well in making those good decisions. I met people along the way that helped me. There were some people along the way that hurt me. And no matter how big I thought I got, one thing remained. I was still from that small town in Georgia. And so I had to learn that it's not who you are. It's not who you know. It's not even where you think you're going to get. It was important for me to remember those foundational things that I learned from that small town and from my parents in that small town. <clears throat> and so it helped me to grow as a, as a result to understand that you left here and you were asked to leave this small town with a legacy. So if I forget where I came from, then that legacy is not going to move forward. Meaning, how, how am I going to relate to others? Am, am I just going to keep look, searching for something new? Or am I going to go back to those roots? And my parents taught me at a very young age to be respectful to love God, to respect God, to honor God. And that also meant being there for other people. And I, I recall, and this is my premise of life. My mother passed away when I was just 13. However, I remember two years earlier, a small act that is why I exist. And it helped me never forget where I came from. 
it was Christmas Eve. And of course the cooking, you know, the smells, the scents, everything in the house. And she fixed this elaborate meal. We were so excited. We even tried to go to bed early because we were thinking about getting that meal the next day, only to find out my younger sister and I woke up and she's packing up the meal in the car. And so, of course, we are right behind her because wherever that food was going, we wanted to make sure we were going. Jumped in the car, all this food in the car. My mother never said a word. We went like a stone's throw to this lady's house. I'd never seen this lady before. And she was standing at the door. It was evident there was no running water, no lights. And my mother unpacked all of the food she cooked and gave it to this lady who had three small children. And I just remember her hugging my mother, thanking her. We got in the car, 11 years old, what you thinking about? Where, where my meal? What, what are we going to eat? But my mother went home and fixed a second meal. And I think that meal was even better. And so I'll never forget that because that's where I'm from, where people were taught you do for others because it's the right thing to do. Thank you so much for sharing, Sister McCoy. Very, very powerful. And I just love those nuggets in our lives that stick with us and keep us two years before your mother's passing. That act that stayed with you to get into a car where you can still smell the food. The food's gone, but you can still smell it. You, you know it was there. And um, just to watch it go away. And I just think about our Heavenly Father when he watched his son go away and still smelling the sweet savior of his co-collaborator on it, it, it creation and, and redemption, having him watch him go away and then be able to stream out and say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Sister McCoy, I know on that great getting up morning, when we make it over, your mother will be able to look back and say, my daughter, she made it over. I'm well pleased. Thank you, Jesus. And so praise be to God for that small town in Georgia. Um, that's people, you know, oftentimes think that um, they can leave it behind, but it's in you. And wherever you go, you carry it with you. Just a blessing. I'm going to bring up Sister Reese's point. She um, got bounced off, but I thank God for technology. She says we have to know how far we came. The experiences that we had that, that, we had, that helped us to grow as an individual relative to our spiritual life and journey with God. We need to never forget how God brought us through. Powerful words. Thank you so much, Sister Therese. You know, one of the things I'll tell you, other friends, I'm going to bring you on on this point, um, is that, you know, why is it important for us to never forget where we come from? And again, you know, relating that to the idea of love, um, the stranger in your gates. Other friends, just speak to us, please. Well, um, I, I, I liken it to when you when it talks about they were strangers in Egypt. You have to remember when they came into Egypt, Joseph was second in command. And so they were situated in Goshen. So the remembrance of being strange in Egypt wasn't about the slavery. It was about they was getting, you know, fertile land. They were given, you know, um, cordial and all. They were getting probably the best of the best. And they were treated. They were elevated. Um, they were seen at because, you know, Pharaoh went to be blessed by uh, uh, his father, you know. Um, and, and, and the thing is, is that they had a, a great experience until things went wrong. But the whole thing God is trying to point you back to is how well you were treated by someone else in, 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 a, in a situation 
that was uh, 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 you were unfamiliar with. And that's why he tells us in scripture, wherefore comfort one another with the comfort that you received when you went through a certain uh, a point in your life. And you can remember like, man, when I lost my mother, like uh, Sister McCoy talked about, uh, loving arms were put around me. Or when she talks about how her mother uh, uh, prepared this meal and took it to a lady that, um, you know, didn't have substance to provide for her family. And if that lady was to ever, you know, rise above that, then she would remember that. That was an indelible impression upon her mind. And so she will return to that and remember the comfort she received when she was in that same situation. So when we look at um, God's point is that now, never to forget where we come from. One poet um, wrote uh, a lyrical poet. He says, I'm talking to the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. And sometimes when we get a certain status in society and we reach a certain point on the uh, social ladder that we tend to forget. And, and, and this lyrical poet said, I'm talking to the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. And, and when we remember our experiences, not so much the high points, but the low points that gravitates us, that somehow are shaping us and make us what we are, through those struggles and, and through difficulties and we can remember to be kind to someone else if you go back to the the, the questions asked and talk about a stranger who is my neighbor christ told a parable and we call it a, a parable of the good samaritan and what the samaritan did he took him put him in a, in a nice hotel and he said i'm gonna say hey if his bill rung uh, uh, beyond what i've given you i will come back and take care of the difference and, and that's what you know it, you know when we look at how we should treat others is, is to elevate their experience, to put them on a plateau to a point that's like, wow. And I talk about love being an action word. Love isn't love till you give it away. And you never know how much miles a person can get out of that experience when the man in the mirror changes his ways. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much, Elder Ferenc. And, you know, we're going to end on that note. We're out of time. But I thank God for the ability that we have had here today to sit in his awesome presence and discuss his goodness. We were once strangers, right? But God says, everyone is my creation, right? The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and they that dwell therein. There's no stranger with God. So we ought to love through God's love to each and everyone. And so I, I just want to thank our panelists. Sister Cerise um, was um, unfortunately not able to stay on um, with us due to some connectivity issues, but she's still connecting with us through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? She says, we were all once strangers when we came into God's light. We all needed guidance, patience, loving kindness, and so we should be with how we treat others. And I'm going to say this to you as we close out. It is one thing that, you know, Peter made sure he reminded us we all came out of that place of that darkness and this marvelous light. And as we reach others, these are the things that should motivate us. The fact that we used to be there, we should understand it. We should be able to get to a place where we can actually now help them to understand that God loves them no matter where they've gone. And we should always remember that when loving our strangers. And I want to thank our panelists, Sister Cerise, Sister McCoy, and Elder Farrington. Extremely insightful. And most of all, I want to thank God and his loving son, Jesus the Christ, who came and died. He was a stranger among men, but they weren't strange to him. Isn't that something? He was a stranger among men. But they were not strange to him. So much so, they said, where did you get these wounds? And he said, in the house of my friends. Praise be to God. We're going to close out now and ask you all to join us at 11 o'clock for our worship service. We do have a phenomenal speaker. He started a series last night. He'll be back with us today at 11 a.m. Elder Ray, um, Brother Raymond um, Gray. 
Um, he is going to be um, presenting from the church and there'll actually be a live service at church for those of you who registered and those of you who are still joining online, continue to participate in online as well. And just pray for God's blessing. This is not a message that is um, only for one subset of individuals. It's not only for one group of individuals. It's for all of us to learn how to relate to our younger um, generation and for our younger generation to relate to us as well. And for us all to be able to relate to God and allow him to have his way in our lives. We're going to close with our um, prayer now. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your mercy and for your love. Thank you, dear Lord, for not finding it strange or unusual, dear Father, to come and, and, and set your love upon us through your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you so much, dear God, for this lesson discussion. I knew, dear Lord, from the outset, just some, there was a, something in the air that we're going to have an awesome time. And we learned, dear Lord, that something in the air is your covenant, dear Father, encircling us, the bow in the sky. Dear Lord, I pray you continue to encircle us and keep us this upcoming week. Be with those who viewed online, dear Lord, those who participated, those, dear Lord, who shared, liked, subscribed. Bless us all, I beg you, and prepare us for your everlasting kingdom, I pray. Keep us this week and prepare us, dear Lord, for your worship service in a few moments. We love you. We appreciate you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week. And remember, you have two minutes to go powder your nose and come right back and join us for our 11 o'clock service. God bless you. Take care.